You are listening to a sermon from the First Baptist Church of Ewing, a Christ-centered church in Lewis County. We are going to be in chapter 52 this morning. Uh, We're going to be looking at verses 1 through 12 as we're starting a new sermon series, uh, which means that we're actually going to be camping out in this chapter and the next chapter for the next few weeks. Um, And as you turn there in your Bibles, uh, let me go ahead and pray for our time. Father, I just ask uh, very specifically that you would just begin now to prepare our hearts for Easter. Uh, When Easter comes, we want to be able to celebrate uh, how you overcame the grave. But before we can do that, we just need to spend some time in serious contemplation remembering why you first needed to go to the cross on our behalf at all. So, so Father, I ask that you would just use this passage from Isaiah that we're going to be studying for the next few weeks to do just that, to remind ourselves of our sin and our depravity and therefore of our need uh, for you. That way, Father, when Easter morning arrives, we will be ready to celebrate with joy because of the great mercy uh, that you have, have shown us through sending your son to die on the cross so that a relationship with you might be restored. I ask all of this in Christ's holy and precious name. Amen. Uh, hear from the word of the Lord this morning, Isaiah chapter 52, verses 1 through 12. Awake, awake, put on your strength, O Zion. Put on your beautiful garments, O Jerusalem, the holy city, for there shall be no more come into you, the uncircumcised and the unclean. Shake yourself from the dust and arise. Be seated, O Jerusalem, loose the bonds from your neck, O captive daughter of Zion, for thus says the Lord, you are sold for nothing and you shall be redeemed without money. For thus says the Lord God, my people went down at first into Egypt to sojourn there and the Assyrian oppressed them for nothing. Now, therefore, what have I, what have I here, declares the Lord, seeing that my people are taken away for nothing. Their rulers wail, declares the Lord, and continually all the day, my name is despised. Therefore, my people shall know my name. Therefore, in that day, they shall know that it is I who speak, here I am. How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news who publishes peace, who brings good news of happiness, who publishes salvation, who says to Zion, your God reigns. The voice of your watchmen, they lift up their voice together, they sing for joy, for eye to eye they see the return of the Lord to Zion. Break forth together into singing, You waste places of Jerusalem, for the Lord has comforted his people. He has redeemed Jerusalem. The Lord has bared his holy arms before the eyes of all the nations, and all the ends of the earth shall see the salvation of our God. Depart, depart. Go out from there. Touch no unclean thing. Go out from the midst of her, purify yourselves, you who bear the vessels of the Lord. 
For you shall not go out in haste. You shall not go in flight. For the Lord will go before you and the God of Israel will be your rear guard. This is the word of the Lord. Um, I just want you to imagine that you were a Jewish man or woman living in Jerusalem around 33 AD. There'd been an awful lot of commotion going on lately. A strange rabbi was just welcomed into the city riding on a donkey. The people were literally taking off their cloaks. Uh, They were taking them off their own backs and just throwing them into the streets before him. They were spreading out piles of palm leaves on the road. Uh, But then fast forward only a week And you're already watching that same rabbi as he is being dragged down those same streets as others are now mocking and jeering at him. And there are Roman guards beating him and spitting on him as he walks. I mean, that's quite the turn of events that you're witnessing But if you were a Jew who had grown up in the first century, you would likely have had much of the Jewish scriptures, which we just call the Old Testament, uh, committed to memory. So I wonder what passages might have come to mind as you saw Jesus's journey towards the cross. Maybe Isaiah chapter 50, verse 6 might have flashed before your eyes where it says, I gave my back to those who strike and my cheeks to those who pull out my beard. I hid not my face from disgrace and spitting. Jesus was struck and spit upon just like the one whom Isaiah described. Or maybe you would have thought about a passage like Isaiah 52, Uh, where we're told that his appearance became marred beyond human semblance. When all was said and done, Jesus was beaten to the point where you would not have recognized his face, just as the one that Isaiah is speaking about later in this passage. And in the aftermath of Jesus's violent murder, I wonder how many of those who witnessed it ever reflected on Isaiah 53, Verse 5, where we're told that he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. I wonder how many of those who watched the death of Jesus and who were familiar with the writings of Isaiah I wonder how, how many ever connected those dots to understand who Isaiah was foreshadowing. Because all throughout the book of Isaiah, the prophet repeatedly stops talking about the uh, predicament facing uh, God's people in their day in order to predict the arrival of a Messiah who wouldn't be born until hundreds of years after Isaiah's death. But if you were familiar with Isaiah's writings, then you would have already been familiar with much of what was going to happen in the life of Jesus. Even if you lived before the time of Jesus, and even if you didn't even know that Jesus was going to be his name. 
During the Advent season last year, we walked through a sermon series called Christmas According to Isaiah, uh, where we looked at five passages, um, six if you include uh, the Christmas Eve service we did, and we saw the Christmas story, how it was predicted long before Jesus ever stepped foot on earth. Everything from the virgin birth and the wise men and their gifts of gold and frankincense, all of that was foretold by Isaiah. But from now until Easter, uh, we are going to go back into the same book, and we're going to see the Easter story according to Isaiah, paying particular attention to chapters 52 and 53 where Jesus is depicted as the suffering servant who came to bear the weight of our sins on the cross. And today's passage in Isaiah 52, it contains a fairly famous verse in the Bible, uh, even though you may be more familiar with it from the book of Romans rather than from the book of Isaiah, uh, because Paul will later quote from this prophet saying, How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news. But long before the Apostle Paul ever heralded the news, that good news of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, Isaiah was already anticipating that good news. So today, we are going to study more about that good news and the beautiful feet of the one who brought it. And as we do so, I want you to see three ways in which Isaiah is inviting you to respond to the arrival of God's servant who came to save us from our sin. In this passage, we'll see that Isaiah invites you to stand to your feet in order that you might see the arrival of Jesus' feet, so that you might be sent out to be the feet of Jesus to others. Isaiah is inviting you to stand to your own feet, to see the feet of Jesus, so that you could be sent out to be the feet of Jesus to others. So let's look back at these opening verses and see the first way Isaiah is inviting you to respond to the arrival of Jesus and and what he did as he walked towards the cross. Isaiah says, awake, awake, put on your strength, O Zion, put on your beautiful garments, O Jerusalem, the holy city, for there shall be no more come into you, the uncircumcised and the unclean. Shake yourself from the dust and arise. And then he urges those in Jerusalem to then loose their bonds uh, from their necks. O captive daughter of Zion. Isaiah is giving his people a wake-up call. He's telling the people of God to wake up, to get dressed, and to stand back up to their feet. I know that this is a few months ago when we were studying Isaiah during Advent, But one of the things that we focused on was the reality that Isaiah was preaching during a very, very dark time in Judah's history. 
I mean, the northern kingdom of Israel, they've already been destroyed and taken into captivity by the Assyrians. Um, And it's not going to be much longer before the southern kingdom of Judah, along with her prized city of Jerusalem, is about to be conquered by the Babylonians. It was a very dark time uh, in the history of God's people as Isaiah is writing these passages And so the Lord gave Isaiah these words of encouragement, not just for the people in his own day, but also for for those generations to come. These words are meant for future generations as well, uh, who would soon be living as refugees in a faraway land in Babylon, wondering whether or not the Lord would, would ever allow them to return home to Israel. But living in Babylon is going to be a difficult season for God's people. When the temple was destroyed, so they could no longer offer sacrifices to the Lord. Uh, and the Babylonians must have mocked their faith insistently. You know, after all, their God wasn't even strong enough to save them from the hands of their enemies. So when that decree from Cyrus the Great came about 70 years later, uh, letting God's people return back to Israel. It, It took a little while for some of them to wake up to the reality of what was really happening. Because at that point, many of the Jews thought that they would never go home. Most of them didn't even know what home looked like. Almost all of them by that point had been born and raised in Babylon. That was their only life. That was all they knew. So they needed to read and hear these words from Isaiah telling them to arise, to stand up, to shake off the dust, to loose those bonds around their neck because their captivity was finally over, that they were free again. But then how ironic was it that just a few generations after that, um, everything would repeat itself all over again. God's people returned from exile, just like Isaiah predicted that they would. And, And they did go back to live in Israel, but they still felt like exiles living there. Because soon enough, it was the Romans who came to oppress God's people, just like the Babylonians and just like the Assyrians had done. And the Lord's promise to bless those descendants of Abraham, it once again must have felt like a far-fetched fantasy that could never possibly come true. Because all they were experiencing was just oppression all over again by the Romans. And so... God's people fell back into a spiritual slumber until finally the arrival of Jesus came to shake his people awake once more and to tell them once again to to stand back up and to shake the dust off one last time because their spiritual bonds of sin have finally been broken. They're finally free. And this time, after Jesus' arrival, they are going to be free for all eternity. No more Assyrians, no more Babylonians, no more Romans. God's people will never be conquered again. Because at the cross, Satan's head will be crushed. 
The powers of darkness will be forced to surrender and even death itself will be defeated. But in light of all of that, as we think about that, as we reflect on that, let me just ask you a question this morning. Where do you fit in to that picture? Do you sometimes feel like the Israelites did? Like you are still living in exile? Where like them, you have just lain down and you have started to fall asleep? Has God felt so distant to you for so long that you just stopped waiting for him? where it just feels like you just kind of want to give up on him because you're not sure uh, if he is ever going to uh, be near to you anymore. Well, if that is you, then this is your wake-up call from Isaiah. Through the power of the Holy Spirit, his words are still trying to speak to you in order to shake you awake. If you're not a follower of Christ, then this passage is begging you to open up your eyes and be awakened to spiritual life that can only be found in Jesus. But even if you already are a Christian, maybe you've committed your life to to Jesus years or, or decades ago, maybe you also need to be reawakened and reminded of what Christ has done and what he continues to do in your life. Even more mature Christians can sometimes become complacent in their walks with Christ, where where those walks slow down. And before you know it, you're really not even walking with Christ anymore. You're just kind of standing still And then you're not even standing anymore, you're just setting. And then before you know it, you've laid down, and now you're just starting to doze off to sleep. This can happen not even just to individual Christians, but to whole churches and denominations as well. It happens all the time. I used to do pulpit supply. Uh, when I was in seminary, and I would preach to all kinds of churches all across the state of Kentucky and southern Indiana. Uh, But many of those churches had long before, before I ever got there, they had long before ceased being the church. I mean, they still had a building. They still had a few faithful members who would get dressed up every Sunday and go to service. But they were really just going through the motions. They just came to church to play Sunday school more than anything else. They came because that's what they had always done, but they were more concerned with sipping coffee and and socializing than they were about being the bride of Christ. They weren't sharing the gospel with others. Uh, They weren't letting the gospel transform their own lives. Their church baptismals had been dry for longer than anyone could remember. They weren't even sure if they worked anymore. I mean, they still had a building, but they were not being the body of Christ. They had laid down and they had fallen asleep. And if we're being honest, and I hope I'm not stepping on any toes this morning, but if we're being honest, then how many churches 
Not just in other parts of the country, but even here in northeast Missouri, even in our own local association. How many churches that that do we have that are just pretending as well? Maybe they have their eyelids taped open so it looks like they're awake. It looks like they are alive. But those churches aren't seeking after the risen Savior anymore. They have already fallen fast asleep. My my prayer is that that could never be said. A First Baptist Ewing, that's my hope. But, But even if there are aspects where even our own church, where even we have become too comfortable or too complacent, and where even we have started to become sleepy, then my prayer is that we would let Isaiah's words be a wake-up call for us. But let his words shake us awake and call us to stand to our feet again in order that we might once again seek after Christ. So so let these verses be an invitation for you to get back up on your feet. That's the first way Isaiah invites you to respond in this passage. Uh, But secondly, let these verses also invite you to see the feet of Jesus. Because Isaiah didn't want his people to anxiously be anticipating just anything. I mean, he didn't want them to wake up and arise just because. He wanted them to yearn for the arrival of none other than the prophesied Messiah, whom we know to be Jesus Christ. That, that's what he wants them to see. So, so let's move on uh, in, in our text to see how these verses specifically point us to Jesus. Uh, to do that, look at verse 3. Isaiah writes, Thus says the Lord, You were sold for nothing, and you shall be redeemed without money. When the Israelites were taken away by the Assyrians and Babylonians as slaves, it wasn't because God sold them into slavery. It was because of their own pursuit of evil and wickedness that they sold themselves into slavery. And what did they profit from that sale? Absolutely nothing. Nothing. Another prophet of the Old Testament, Ezekiel, uh, he said that the Israelites were a people who were actually worse uh, than a prostitute. Because a prostitute at least gets paid for what she does. Uh, Many women fall into that kind of a lifestyle, uh, but they don't particularly enjoy uh, that career path. Uh, They just do it in order to survive and to provide food for their children. Uh, But Ezekiel said that the Israelites were actually worse than a prostitute because they pursued evil and wickedness completely free of charge. They pursued sin just for the sake of sin. And because of that, the Lord allowed them to be taken away as slaves. They lost their country. They lost their homes. They lost their dignity. In the eyes of the world, they became worthless and without value. But Isaiah says that soon they shall see uh, the one who is going to redeem them. One day they are going to be redeemed without money as well. They were sold for nothing, meaning that they profited nothing by becoming slaves. 
But, but now they will re- be redeemed without money too. Which isn't to say that there's not a price that is going to be paid. Uh, this redemption may not cost money, but it will be very pricey. And of course, Isaiah is alluding to the price that Jesus would pay for our salvation as he goes to be crucified on the cross. That salvation through Jesus, it won't cost you a dime, which is good news because you and I have nothing that we could actually pay or offer to the Lord to uh, properly compensate him, even if we wanted to. Uh, You can't bribe God with money because he already owns everything there is anyway. And you can't even earn a right standing before him through your good works. Because Isaiah says elsewhere that even what we consider to be righteousness is nothing but filthy, dirty rags in the eyes of God. So being redeemed without money... It actually works in your favor because you and I have nothing that we could give anyway. But but there was a great price that was paid for your salvation as Jesus, who was God in the flesh, sacrificed his own life so that you could have eternal life. And the God of this universe giving up his own life, that is the costliest price that could ever be paid But the Lord paid that price in order to restore and in order to redeem your name and mine. And he also paid that price in order that his name would not be despised. That's what Isaiah says at the end of verse 5. Other nations had called the Lord weak, saying he wasn't even strong enough to save his own people. So the Lord would one day send Jesus to rescue us, not only for our good, but also for God's glory, so that his name might be held up high rather than being despised. That's why Isaiah writes in verse 6, my people shall know my name. They shall know that it is I who speak. Here I am. And that is incredibly profound news. Isaiah is giving the people of Judah hope that one day God is going to come down and say to them, here I am. Look at me. I've come for you. This this is clearly not some faraway, distant, nameless deity that Isaiah is speaking of. This is a God whose name the Israelites will know and who they will be able to see. This is a God who will come to be here on earth among his people in order to rescue them. Which means that Isaiah, again, could not possibly be alluding to anyone other than Jesus. And this is where we now get to verse 7. And if you're already familiar with any of these verses in this text, it's probably this one where Isaiah says, How beautiful. Upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news. Uh, Believe it or not, but in Isaiah's day, they did not have smartphones. Uh, There weren't any kind of phones. So when urgent news needed to be relayed, they relied on the skill of runners 
to pass along very important messages, uh, particularly when a battle had taken place. A runner would flee and sprint from the battlefield to tell others of the outcome, especially to all of the, the surrounding cities. Because if you lived in one of those cities and your army had just been defeated, then you're going to want to know that information as quickly as humanly possible. Because the army is probably already marching towards you. The enemy is probably already on their way coming to plunder and destroy your city. So ancient cities would have watchmen that were stationed all along their walls. And their sole job was just to keep an eye out for anyone coming near. And whenever they saw a runner beelining it for the city's gates, uh, they would wait in anxious anticipation they would squint and they would stare uh, to try to, to see if their faces were downcast in despair or, or to see if there was a smile of joy on the runner's face as he ran. And they would listen intently because as soon as those runners were in earshot, they would begin to cry out victory or defeat to all those who could hear, especially in Jerusalem when those runners could be seen scrambling down over the mountains, uh, nearing the outskirts of the city. If they brought good news, uh, they would be welcomed warmly into the city so that others could hear about this great victory. And I'm sure that the feet of those runners, I'm sure would have been dirty and disgusting after all they had been through. They were probably bruised and bleeding from the sharp rocks that came across their path. Because, believe it or not, those runners didn't have any kind of Nike or Adidas shoes to run in. But when they came into the city screaming victory, which is actually what Nike even means in Greek, when they came in shouting victory, then those disgusting feet became some of the most beautiful feet that people had ever seen. So, so likewise, how beautiful were the dirty and bloodied feet of Christ as he was walking down those streets in Jerusalem. I mean, this was the same man who had just washed the disciples' feet the day before so that they might be clean. And now his own feet are, are carrying uh, the weight of this crossbeam, and those same feet are about to be nailed to a cross, but the blood that would pour out from them would be more than enough to, to clean our hearts from sin. So, so if the watchmen could sing and shout for joy um, as they saw the, the, the feet of those runners who came and brought good news, well then how much more should we be singing for joy every time we read about the feet of Jesus who came to earth to bring us the greatest good news that ever existed, the good news of salvation that Isaiah says in verse 10 will be seen by the eyes of all the nations and even to the ends of the earth. So, so this passage invites you to stand to your feet in order that you might see the beautiful feet of Jesus. But lastly this morning, 
I want you to see how that's all so that you might be sent to be the feet of Jesus to others. Isaiah is inviting you to stand to your feet, to see the feet of Jesus, so that you might be sent to go and be the feet of Jesus to others. I've already said that that many of you are probably more familiar with verse 7, but not because of the book of Isaiah, but because of the book of Romans. I want to take just a moment then to read it to you from Romans chapter 10, uh, verses 13 through 15. Uh, The apostle Paul writes there, For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But how then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have not ever heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. When Paul speaks of those beautiful feet, of of those who preach good news, he's, he's not just talking about the feet of Jesus. He is also talking about the feet of the missionaries who have been commissioned and sent out by Jesus. He's talking about you and me, because once you have come to see the good news of Jesus's gospel, you are going to want to share that good news with others, with everyone who is willing to hear. Jesus sprinted into this world to tell us of salvation, and in return, we are to race all around our communities and around the world, heralding that message to others. And Isaiah would be in full agreement with the Apostle Paul, because in verse 11 of our text today, Isaiah urges God's people to depart, to go out, you who bear the vessels of the Lord. And when God's people stand at their feet, Uh, when God's people see the arrival of this good news, Isaiah tells them not to stand there for very long. They are to go out so that they could proclaim this news to others. But but notice how Isaiah ends our text this morning. You are to go out, but in verse 12, he says that you shall not go out in haste. You shall not go in flight. Someone who takes flight or flees, it's because they're afraid. Um, But because of the peace, because of the sense of security that comes to our souls when we receive salvation in Christ, we do not have to be afraid. We we do not have to run or take flight in haste. The, The Israelites... When they were exiled in Babylon, they had to leave in a hurry because they were fleeing from their homes as the Babylonians came in and destroyed them. But 70 years later, when they returned, they were able to calmly walk back home with confidence and dignity because it was the Lord who would go before them as they went and because it was the God of Israel who would be their rear guard to protect them just like this passage says. And so as you are commissioned to be 
the feet of Jesus and to be the very vessel of the Lord taking his message of salvation to your family and to your friends and to our community, you can go out with that same confidence, that same dignity as the Israelites had when they proudly strolled back to the streets of Jerusalem returning from captivity, which isn't to say that we should be slow. It's not to say that we should take our time when it comes to sharing the gospel with others. Don't waste any precious time. But it is to say that there's no need to be nervous or panic as you go. There's no need to take flight in haste. Because just like the Israelites, it will be the Lord who will go before you. And it will be God who is your rear guard protecting you as you go. He will be in front of you. He will be behind you, ensuring that his message will be made known to every one of his lost sheep. So as we come closer to Easter, may we understand the Easter story as Isaiah understood it. Uh, And and may it cause us to to wake up from our spiritual slumber and stand to our feet. May, May it cause us to be on the lookout for the arrival of Jesus's feet as he comes to declare to us the victory that that he had over death. And may that news of victory, may, may it be all the incentive that we need just to be sent out in order that me, we might be the feet of Jesus and that we might take this message of good news to this lost and dying world around us. Let me pray. Father, we are so thankful for the story of the gospel and what it means, the significance that it has for us. I am thankful, Father, that this isn't a story that we have to wait all the way until the New Testament to see. Rather, we can see it just by studying a book like Isaiah. But Father, I pray that we would not soon forget this message that we heard proclaimed today. Rather, I pray that we would reflect on all of the ways that you want us to be your hands and your feet to those who are around us. And may you also just burden our hearts for those who we are take to take the gospel to. Ask all of this in Christ's holy and precious name. Amen.